0: Can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21 and once you've been able to give you can do that. It'll be up on the screen for you as well as usual. But we are continuing in our study of Acts and just as a, uh, a quick summary of where we've been so far, we remember that the study of Acts truly is about the church on a mission. And it is the unstoppable mission of the church and it's unstoppable because it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Really if nothing else from this whole study we want to be reminded that the early church especially the leaders the apostles who God was using to lead were empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing and this morning we will see that very clearly just like every other Sunday that we go through it and so we are actually in Acts 21 now making our way towards the end and uh, it's the just the first 14 verses of Acts chapter 21. So in just a couple of minutes we'll read it together but there's going to be a lot of scripture that we're going to use this morning. It won't be up on the screen for you except for the main passage. So as I go through other scriptures I, I would love it if you would just use your Bibles or the ones in front of you, there, uh, under the seats in front of you, to be able to turn to them okay i 'll give you enough time to do that for most of them so um, so, in our passage this morning, uh, the apostle Paul is continuing to make his way to Jerusalem you know we 've seen a lot of his itinerary and and Luke, who wrote this book, uh, is kind of giving us uh, you know a, a sort of a play by play and where he 's going here and there, and he is finally Uh, making his way to Jerusalem. And uh, what we see here is a clear picture of, listen, of Paul following the will of God, okay? But there's some confusion in here, but a lot of things that we can glean about what does it mean for us to discern the will of God. It's really a question that all of us ask, what does God want me to do with my life? How do I make decisions Big ones are even on a daily basis. Well, you know, um, there was, uh, evidently, if you've been reading the news, there was some per, a guy who called himself a Christian and kind of a Christian numerologist. He saw that he was predicting that yesterday would be the end of the world. Well, we're still here. It's okay. We thought maybe it would happen during the car wash. Didn't happen. But he did, and I'm not trying to make fun of him, but he did um, kind of... He didn't say that he was recanting what he said, but he clarified his statements to say that yesterday was the start of the end of things because of some astronomical thing. He's an astronomer by trade. And um, so he said October 15th is when not the world's going to end, but uh, there's going to be a lot of changes. Now, I'm not going to glorify what he's saying by going on, but it got a lot of headlines, of course. You see like headlines about you know doomsday coming and unfortunately it said you know christian predicts this but hopefully people would read and see that um that every article i read at least at least said that orthodox um, catholicism protestantism and the orthodox church greek and roman and all that they all uh, did not back him and there's really the only three branches of christianity Catholicism, Protestantism, and the Orthodox Church. So uh, anyway, don't pay any attention to that other than the fact that it's interesting that a lot of people kind of get caught up on it, right? Because so many people are wondering, when will the world end? And people love to hear when others make predictions, and people love to make predictions, and you thought maybe after Harold Camping people would give it a rest, but I guess not. So... People are always looking for signs. It's part of the human nature. But I like this sentiment better. If you knew that the world was ending, how would you spend your last hours? Well, Francis of Assisi, a great Christian from ancient times, one day was hoeing and working in his garden. And he was hoeing the dirt in his garden. And somebody asked him, Brother, what would you do if suddenly you learned that today at sunset you would die? Brother Francis said, I would finish hoeing my garden. I like that sentiment better. Because I believe he had a lot of confidence that he was walking with the Lord in his will. And at that moment, the most important thing he was doing was hoeing his garden. So why change what he was doing, right? Give us some food for thought. What would we do if we knew the world was ending today? But it's very dangerous to predict the future. Didn't Jesus even say, right, that no one knows the day or the hour, not even him, but only the Father? See, there was a pastor who lived about a 100 years ago, and his name was Pastor Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And one day, uh, he proclaimed from the pulpit on a Sunday morning at church, but also he wrote in an article for that same day in a local paper his prediction that man would never be able to fly. And that building any kind of flying machine was not only impossible, but completely contrary to the will of God. He proclaimed this. By the way, Pastor Wright had two sons named Orville and Wilbur. (laughs) If you don't get the uh, irony, you can ask your neighbor and they'll explain it to you. For those of you that are maybe a little bit younger. So there's danger in predicting the future, right? You never know how God will work out the future even with those people close to you. But again, unfortunately a lot of people are looking for signs and wonders and Jesus spoke a lot about that, but we need to be careful. Cuz there's also a star a story about a farmer who really 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 wanted to be an evangelist. He was a farmer, his parent, you know, his parents were farmers, his grandparents and all he wanted to do was be an evangelist and that's what he dreamed of. So one day, he was out working the farm, And he looked up in the clouds and he saw a cloud formation that looked like the letters P and C. And right away, he thought to himself, that is God telling him in a sign to preach Christ. P, C, God is telling him preach "Preach Christ. And so he went and he dropped everything. And he went to do that, but not thinking that perhaps God was telling the farmer to plant corn. (laughs) Never know. So we need to be careful in trying to make predictions or reading the signs of what's going on in the world around us, even looking for signs in nature or, you know, we know what's been going on with the hurricanes and the earthquakes and all those things. And we know, of course, that Jesus told us that these things would happen towards the end of time. But every year there's earthquakes, unfortunately, every year there's hurricanes. So uh, all I would say to you is this, we are certainly called to be awake And ready and prepared for whenever Jesus will return. Amen? Without making any kind of predictions, but understanding that we are growing closer to that day when he will return. And there's no other signs, I believe, that have to happen before Jesus returns for us, his church. And those beginning uh, things of the end times will actually really take off. But until that day, we have a job to do, and that is to worship him to tell others about the hope that is in Christ. So that should be our focus. But lots of people are looking for signs and trying to figure out what is God's will. Even like that Christian numerologist, he was digging deep into Scriptures. Unfortunately, I feel sorry for him, for years and years, trying to figure out what he called a Bible code. That somehow there's hidden messages in the Bible about when the day will end. And it's all about different numbers. Different numbers. Well, I'm here to tell you that I believe what the Word of God says is that God's will is made very clear in His Word, and it is not hidden at all. So there's a lot that we can already know about what God's will is for our lives. But there's also that thing of like when we have to make regular decisions about maybe where to go to church, or what job to take, or where to move to, or who to marry, where to go to college, all those things we seek, hopefully, God's guidance and His will. And those things can be difficult because, of course, it doesn't say in the Word like where to go to college, right? It doesn't say in God's Bible. There's actually a story of a a young woman who was really like fretting about where to go to college. And so she opened the book once and it said, Jacob once said, he said, go unto Bethel, right? And in her denomination, they had a college called Bethel College. So she's like, that's it. I opened the Word. It says, go to Bethel College. But in Amos chapter 4, there's a verse that says, Go to Bethel and sin. So hopefully she didn't read that when she got to the college, right? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, again, the dangers of trying to read into that. You open the oh, this is what he's saying. But we all take that opportunity to ask God on a regular basis, God, what do you want me to do in this situation or that situation? So what I'm going to do is this. We're going to read this passage. You're going to see how there were people in in Paul's life who were struggling with what he was doing. Was it God's will? But Paul was adamant and resolute that he was following the will of God. And so I'm just going to give us seven basic things this morning that you can take notes and write down. Seven things to consider when you are in a decision-making process and position about how to determine the will of God. Now, this is not a formula, right? I think we'd all love to have some kind of formula that we can just apply to it, and boom, the answer to God's will comes out at the end, right? It doesn't work that way. But here's seven things that I'll share this morning, just briefly on each one, that you should consider when making decisions, large or small, about how to discern God's will in your life, all right? So let's read the passage together, and within the context of what we're reading, we'll discuss that decision making process, okay? So this is Paul going to Jerusalem. Starting, um, in verse 1 of chapter 21. When he had parted from them and he set sail, we came straight, uh, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and then the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. These are all, this is uh, his itinerary again. When we had come inside of Cyprus, "'Leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria. "'We landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo.'" So this is Luke kind of giving all the details. "'And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. "'And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. "'So when our days there were ended, we departed, we went on our journey, "'and they all, even with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city.'" Then kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and we said farewell to one another. They went on board the ship, then we went on board the ship and they returned home. A beautiful picture in this first part. The people gathering around Paul and and the other apostles, praying for them and sending them off on their journey. But with a warning, verse 7. So when we had finished that voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais and we greeted the brothers and we stayed with them for one day. But then on the next day, we departed and we came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. He was one of the seven, and and we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt... He bounded around his own feet and hands, and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, meaning Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and we said, let the will of the Lord be done. Very interesting turn of events here. You see what's happening in a nutshell is they were traveling, traveling, traveling and going from here to there, getting on this ship and that. Because remember, Paul was set on going to Jerusalem. So where they were first, they had some people that said, don't go to Jerusalem, it's dangerous. They got to the house of Philip the evangelist, him and even his daughters, and then Agabus who came, who was a known prophet, came from Judea, and he said, and he said in a very dramatic way, Paul, you should not go. He took Paul's belt and he bound his feet in his hands, meaning the prophet, and he kind of was laying there, like on the ground, with his hands and feet tied up. And he says, This is what you're going to, this is what they're going to do to you, Paul, in Jerusalem. You sure you want to go? And so when everybody saw it, all of Paul's friends, they gathered around Paul. They said, You see what just happened? And the other people told us before. And now they're saying, and the prophet Agabus is saying, Don't go. He even said, It says here the, that um, Agabus, the prophet, said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. So they were convinced, Paul, you should not be going to Jerusalem. Because you will be imprisoned or bound or even killed. But what did Paul say? Even though the prophet said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is where it can get a little confusing. Paul says in verse 13, why are you doing this? You're breaking my heart. He says, you know I'm going to Jerusalem no matter what. Because we know from the past passage we saw uh, last time. That Paul said the Holy Spirit was constraining him to go. So Paul was convinced that God, through his spirit, was telling him to go. And he said, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul was passionate about what he was doing and that he was called and that he was following the will of God. So, you know, there are some Christian scholars who say perhaps Paul got it wrong. But there's many others that say Paul was following the will of God. And I'll kind of share why it is. So it's a little conundrum there, right? Because here you have a prophet evidently known to be from God who said, the Holy Spirit is telling me this is what's going to happen to you, right? So therefore, should Paul have gone? Did he make a mistake in going? But I think it's pretty clear when we look at this and other scriptures, right? That Paul was following the will of God to follow what he believed God was calling him to do. And then at the very end of this passage... It's a Paul, uh Luke finally says, we couldn't persuade him. Like, how are you going to try to persuade Paul to do something he doesn't want to do, right? He says, so what we did is we stopped. And they finally said, let the will of the Lord be done. Don't we do that when we pray? We pray for something and we should pray earnestly without ceasing, Jesus says, for something, whatever it is. But ultimately, our desire should be to be praying within the will of God. So, we do even what Jesus said in the garden not my will, but your will, right? And so, what we're going to look at today, just briefly, is seven things to consider when we are trying to discern the will of God. See, Paul was clearly resolute that he was following the will of God, going to Jerusalem no matter what was going to happen to him. Now, when we make a decision, we often worry about the consequences, right? And the outcome the ramifications here paul knew what was going to happen even the prophet agabus said this is what's going to happen he said i'm going one of the things to consider is this how often are we willing to be that resolute if you even know what the consequences are going to be and they're not going to be favorable to you are you still willing to be obedient to the will of god so here's the first thing that we need to consider, and these seven things are partly adapted by the works of a teacher and author that I really appreciate. His name, his name is Ken Boa, and uh, he, wrote, he wrote some things on some of these, and so uh, these are seven things that we want to consider, and I did put them in order, uh, I think, order of um, importance. But let's see how these flesh out. The first thing to consider is this. When you're making a decision and trying to discern the will of God, Let's first talk about this word conversion. It's all about having a relationship with God. And I would hope that all of these seven things make sense. Because before we are to determine what the will of God is for our lives, the first thing we need to do is make sure we have a relationship with Him and that we know Him. Does that make sense? It's like this. If you know, I mean, you know your spouse, your siblings, your parents better than anybody else. You know what kind of ice cream they like. You know how to push their buttons. You say a certain thing, you know what kind of reaction you're going to get. Why is it that you know those people so well? It's because you've spent time with them. Years, you have an intimate, close relationship with them. Listen, it's the same thing with God. How are you going to know the intimate character and nature and will of God for your life if you don't first know Him? So don't even struggle trying to figure out the will of God until you first are sure that you know God. Does that make sense? So we use that word conversion. All these are going to start with the letter C, just to help you remember it, okay? So this idea of conversion, the first step is, have you surrendered your life to the Lord? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus for your salvation? Therefore, entering into a personal relationship with God the Father. Through Jesus Christ, remember we say that it is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone that we are saved. Entering into that relationship is the first step. Just like how you know the people around you so well is because you have cultivated an intimate relationship with them. And we are every day of our lives since that moment of salvation to cultivate an intimate relationship with him. So then how is it that we do that? Well, first of all, before we get up to this idea of relationship, we have to know who God is. I think also many Christians who even say they know who God is and would believe them, that they don't truly know the true God. You see what I'm saying is that we can often say as believers that, oh yes, we know God, but have you read His Word? Have you listened to good Bible teaching to understand the nature and attributes of God? Are we reminded that God is eternal and holy, that He is immutable, which means unchangeable, He's infinite, omniscient and all-knowing, He's omnipresent, omnipotent, He's sovereign, righteous, He is truth and love. Is that the God that you know? That's the God of the Bible. You see, in John 1 it says, "...but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name..." He gave the right to become children of God. That's the relationship. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. See that? So first it starts with the relationship. Until that happens, we do not know God. and We cannot please Him. We cannot understand or do His will. So please, remember that. That's first and foremost. That we know God and have a relationship with Him. The second thing is, once we understand that we have that and we know God and are continuing to get to know Him, we need to make a commitment to do that for the rest of our lives. That moment of salvation is not the end of the journey, but the beginning. Am I right? And that journey we call walking the Christian walk or living the Christian life, right? We call it sanctification when we're being set apart To become more like Christ each and every day so if you're trying to make a decision and you know that you uh you know God and have a relationship you're making a commitment secondly to be a disciple learning and growing willing to be obedient yielding your will to his submitting and surrendering like in Romans 12 when it talks about being a living sacrifice we have to be willing to place ourselves on the altar to undergo that transformation that it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2 about being renewed, the transforming and renewing of our mind. Paul even says in the last chapter we were at last time in Acts 20, if you remember, he said, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is when he was telling them, look, I'm going no matter what. I'm constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. But now in this chapter, we know. The prophet says, I can tell you what's going to happen you're going to be bound at least. He says, except I know that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He's like, that's what did happen in the past. So it's probably what's going to happen again. And Agabus, the prophet confirmed it. He says, but I don't account my life of any value or anything precious to myself. I just want to finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, the Apostle Paul was resolute. He had been given a mission, and he wasn't going to be deterred from his mission. Paul had made a commitment. First, of course, he entered into relationship through that conversion. Made a new person, given a new heart, right? A new creation in Christ. Then he made a commitment to be one of his disciples, learning and growing even as he was preaching and teaching himself. And in today's passage, he even says, I'm willing to die. He says, I'm not only ready to be imprisoned in verse 13, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So he had entered into a relationship, but then he made a commitment. So first the conversion, then the commitment. Once you made that commitment and you continue in that, here's how you can continue in making that commitment and standing true is through communication. So we have conversion, commitment, and communication. Again, these all should make sense to us, but through the spiritual disciplines of prayer, asking for wisdom, reading and studying His Word, meditating on it, which really means kind of soaking it in like a sponge, right? When you want to clean something, you don't just pass the sponge once quickly under the water. You want to soak it in, get all the water and all the soap in there so it can be useful as a sponge. So that's why we meditate on God's Word above just reading it. We want to do things like fast and pray and read God's Word to gain the perspective, to drown out the noise of the world. I like to say kind of reframe our situation. We sang that hymn, Be Thou My Vision, the idea of let us see things through God's eyes. But how can we do that unless we have a regular time of communication with God? How do we communicate with Him? We've entered into a relationship. We've made a commitment to do it. And so we commit to pray and to read His Word, to meditate on it. To do things like fast, to serve, right? Those things that we might call spiritual disciplines. To be able to communicate with Him. Uh, it says in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives it generally, uh, generously without finding fault. It will be given to him. We can ask God for wisdom if we have those open lines of communication, right? But we also know, as we were singing earlier as well, that we have the Holy Spirit within us. How are we communicating with God? Through the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit is given to us for many reasons, but one of them is to illuminate the Word of God. So as we read, we're praying, Holy Spirit, show us the way. And it says that He illuminates the truth. He brings light to it, right? And so it says in Romans 8, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See? See? Who want to know the will of God, let us rely upon the leading of the Holy Spirit. That is what Paul was doing. He said the Spirit constrained him to go to Jerusalem. John 16 says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? You're reading the Word because God, we're going to get to that in a second, God reveals so much about his will and his Word. But also, you need to pray but be willing in our commitment to let the Holy Spirit lead, right? Another important truth, God wants us to know His will. This is still under communication. He wants us to know His will. Maybe we don't even think of it that way, but it is Satan, our adversary, who wants us to be confused and to be directionless and ineffective with our lives. 1 Corinthians says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God doesn't want us to be confused. Do you really think that God would embed His will in the Bible in a numerical code that it would take 2,017 years to figure out? I mean, we're always throughout the centuries, right? People have been reading and studying and understanding and discovering God's will. But it's all right there for us. And the most important truths can never be debated So regarding His will, I want to park there for just a minute, I mean regarding His Word just for a moment, as an important part of communicating with God, opening and studying His Word. Here's an important thing to know. We already know a lot about His will. He tells us His story from beginning to end. We know how the story ends. We know that there is a plan of salvation that God gives us, We've given a lot on how to live and things to avoid and where our power comes from. Jesus says in the prayer model, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know God's will is that it would be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to be people of peace, to worship Him, to seek wisdom, to be obedient, to walk in love and light, to seek truth, to be compassionate. There are... Scores of scriptures to go with each one of those things, it's so clearly evident what God wants us to do. How about even the Ten Commandments, right? You know, it's silly, we, we say it, but it's like, we don't pray, God, do you want me to, to kill this person? Of course not, right? It's a, the simplest you know, example, but like, there is so much that God reveals that we don't need to pray about because He gives us His will in His Word, right? What does Micah 6 8 say? A very popular, well known passage. Micah six eight. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. It is to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you're struggling to discern what God's will is for your life, and you have a relationship with Him, and you're committed to be open in your communication with Him by reading and praying, how about you even start with passages like that? God wants me To be just and to seek justice. To be merciful and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with God. That's a good place to start, isn't it? We already know so much of what God wants us to do. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Another popular passage. You can turn to this one. This is an important one to see. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Even if you know it, you can read it. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in Romans twelve one and 2, he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, as Christians, right, we are transformed in our mind, being made more like Christ. Then we come to be able to approve and desire what God's will is, not our own will. See, it's that transformation that happens, that our own personal desires and will become and transform so that they are in tune with God's will, right? It is God's will itself that is good. It is well pleasing to Him. It is perfect. It is good because it is good for us. It is good in its essence. But His will is good. A couple more. So we know that we, um, we have that conversion moment, enter into a relationship, we make the commitment, we stay communicating with Him. But also, let us take into account our circumstances. When we are deciding and trying to make a decision, trying to discern the will of God in our life, no matter what it is, big or small, how about we consider, in addition to these things we've set out first, how about the circumstances in your life? Simple things like where you were born, the talents that you were given, right? If I just know that I just want to be a math teacher, but math was my worst subject, maybe that's not a good path for me, right? Even things like this. How come I wasn't born in Holland? I was born here in New Jersey. A weird thing to think, but perhaps your circumstances, your culture, where you're born, not that you can't move and God won't use you anywhere in the world, but just think about it. That your circumstances play such a big role in who you are and your identity and who you've become. You can look back at your experiences... To see where you've come from and your current circumstances. Remember last week I talked about taking that self assessment, right? Like Paul was kind of doing and saying, you know what? I've done it all for God and I'm going to continue to do it. Think about things like this. What are your current finances, your talents, your education, your aptitude, right? Your family, your environment, your passions. Paul was passionate. How about doors that have been opened in the past and doors that were closed, right? learning from the past, but also looking at your current circumstances, just taking things into account as we discern the will of God. Finally, a couple more. How about our community? That kind of goes along with that. As you're taking that self-assessment and you're you're gauging your surroundings, right, Um, and your circumstances, how about community? We are here in a church together. Aren't we supposed to rely on each other and seek wise counsel, Ask others for advice. You know that there's people in your life that God has put there that have been walking with the Lord maybe many years and you recognize a spiritual maturity. Ask them for their advice, right? We love to pray for people here at Trinity. Let us know the things that you want prayed for and we will pray for you. Paul's friends were giving him a lot of advice. They cared for him. And that's okay. He listened to them. It doesn't mean that He was going to change what he believed was the will of God. But they came alongside of him. They were giving him advice. Remember Job's friends? They gave him some advice, didn't they? (laughs) Remember what Job said of his friends? Maybe you've said this about your friends. You are miserable comforters, all of you. That's what Job said. Do you ever have a friend just try to tell you something? You're just like, no. That's the worst thing you could have said to me. (laughs) His friends did some good things. They spent time with him. They wept for him. They wept for him, but they also gave him some bad advice. Look at Proverbs 12 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 12, 15. In Proverbs 15, 22, Without counsel, plans can fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Some good words of advice from the book of Proverbs this morning Seek wise counsel among many people that you respect and uh, you respect their walk with the Lord. Two more things. In addition to community, how about this? Maybe this is the most important one other than the first couple. Here it is. How about confession? How about confession? Our fellowship with God is hindered by unconfessed sin. If you're trying to discern the will of God for your life, take into account all of these things I've mentioned, but please do not leave out confession. 1 John 1 says, If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness still, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we do walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have unconfessed sin, if you are unrepentant of heart of a particular sin or sins, that will cloud your judgment in discerning the will of God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139. You should write that down. Psalm 139, 23-24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me to that way everlasting. In Acts 24, we'll get to in the future... It says, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man, confessing your sins to God, and if necessary, to your brother and sister in Christ. And finally, how about a little common sense, right? How about a little common sense? The intuitive sense of right and wrong is in us from God. He has put that on our heart. But we need to learn and to grow in Him because we still have that sin nature. But as we grow closer to Him, we become more sensitive to what is right and wrong. So a little bit of common sense to throw in there as well. So just some concluding thoughts. Paul was following the Holy Spirit. He was following the calling of the Holy Spirit on his life. And he was determined and passionate in what he was doing. Much of what God's will is for us is already revealed. We need to simply open the book he's given us and read it. We have to know him first. We have to have open lines of communication and be willing to obey his calling. Did you ever think about, man, maybe I don't even want to pray for God's will because what if he sends me to be a missionary in some far off land and I don't want to do that. Well, that perhaps shows that you're not willing to be obedient to whatever God is calling you. So first, please, know do you have a relationship with Him so you can get to know Him. And then make the commitment to get to know Him more and more each and every day. Be committed to Him in your life. So as you seek to discern the will of God, take these things into account in making your decisions. And then finally know, that we have been given freedom in Christ, lots of freedom to make decisions. I end with this illustration. I use this often. People come to me and be struggling with how to make a decision. I'll say, don't get so focused on missing out on a particular will of God. Like if you were to take a circle and put a dot right in the middle, people have that misconception that that dot is the will of God for my life. And if I don't get right on that little path, then I'm going to miss out and And that's the end of it all. And God will hate me for it. I like to think of it this way. If you drew a circle with a dot in the middle, how about you draw a bunch of other dots within the circle? That circle is God's will. We know His will from His Word. We have a lot of freedom to choose any one of those paths. We're still within God's will. Or better yet, you go to a place like Six Flags and you're the first one there. And you're waiting to go in, right? How big is the parking lot at Six Flags, right? And you're the first one there, you're like, man, and you go in, you can park in any spot you want. Maybe you want to park right up front so you can get in. Some people like to park in the back so you're the first one out, right? But the point is is when you go in, you have the freedom to park in any spot you want. As long as you're within the confines of that parking lot, you're good to go. We've been given freedom in Christ to make decisions. We use these kind of things to help us to discern the will of God, but then finally in the end we make a decision. We have a lot of freedom to make decisions within the will of God because He has revealed Himself to us. That is so beautiful. No matter what parking spot you choose to park in, you're still in the parking lot. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these great stories from the history of the early church. And Father, we pray... That God, as we continue to read this story and see how it unfolds and see the Holy Spirit leading and guiding the early Christians that we would desire to be led and by you in the same way. And Father, so often we struggle with trying to figure out what it is you want from us. How are we to make decisions in our life, like the next job to take or where to move and maybe who to marry? But God, we know that you care about all those things, even the littlest decisions on a day-to-day basis. But if we know that we are walking with you, that we can walk with confidence, we are walking within your will. God, help us to be clear and confident in our relationship with you, to be resolute in our commitment to you. But Father, also that we would keep those lines of communication open, always reading our word and praying and meditating on what it is you have for us god thank you for revealing so much that we never have to question that we could move forward in knowing that in it all you've given us freedom as we walk with you remain in your will father god i thank you that you have given us your son jesus so that we can enter into a right relationship with you and it is only through him and his shed blood we can do it and we know it Thank you also for sending us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us each and every day. And Father, as we take those steps of faith out into those waters, help us to navigate this life well, seeking you each and every way, asking for wisdom. Father God, we thank you for that. Bless us, Father God. We need you. We need your Love, compassion, and guidance.